This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donation from people like you. So I'm planning on asking you, what do you do during Zazen? Uh, Or maybe what do you intend to do? (laughs) But I have a long preamble to it. Uh, Well, maybe not too long. Have any of you heard the word dukkha? Okay. Maybe you haven't heard a, an accompanying word. It's it's a, a Pali word. Um, the accompanying word is sukha. And an interesting combination of the two is the the ka means um, way of being or experience of being, and the do means um, contraction. Uh, a contracted way of being, uh, and it's usually translated uh, as suffering. And then the word sukha is usually translated as pleasant experience. And the kasasiyam, way of being or experience of being, and the su means spacious. You know. So, contracted way of being, suffering, spacious way of being, pleasant experience or pleasantness. Um, you know, in Buddhism, there's three marks, and they're usually translated as impermanence no self and suffering and take uh, or impermanence no self and suffering or dukkha and Thich Nhat Hanh translates them as impermanence no self and sukha uh, and the wisdom of it is not that he's an eternal optimist, maybe he is, uh, that the ground of being is what it is and how it's related to gives it the complexion or the attribute of either dukkha or sukha. Um, I hope that makes sense. You get that point? You said the experience is an experience, and then how it's related to provides the adjective. You know? A suffering way of being, a pleasant way of being. Uh, you can experience the sign of the traffic as uh, an agitating or disturbing event 
or you can expel. Ah. We forgot about Joe. <laughs> or we can experience the same sign of traffic as pleasant. Remind you of a burbling brook, you know, a, a stream. Uh, or whatever you may consider pleasant. Um, and then what is it to shift how what's happening in the moment is being experienced? You know, that, that, that kind of challenge. Um, and then another Buddhist teaching is um, that there are three primary impulses that go on for us as part of the human existence. And, and, and one is the desire to have um, pleasant experience, uh, however we might consider that coming into being. And then the second one is an aversion to unpleasant experience. And then the third one is a kind of um, ambivalence or numbing or um, maybe just anxiety about uh, how to relate. Um, so we have desire, aversion, an ambivalence or anxiety. Um, so we could say, with the, within the realm of Buddhist practice, uh, how do we not get stuck in this desire to have or this aversion to not have? or the ambivalence or anxiety of being pushed and pulled by them both. And how do we bring an intentionality that fosters sukha, pleasantness, rather than dukkha, the contraction of struggling with what's happening? Okay, got all that? <laughs> or was that too much? <laughs> um, and then to think of Zazen as, uh, okay, given that I'm going to sit with a conscious, deliberate way of being that fosters the openness of Sukha and does not get stuck in the contractedness of dukkha. So that's my preamble. And then my question to you is, uh, what do you do with maybe uh, inverted commas around do or not do? What do you do or what do you not do in Zazen that enables sukkha and uh, 
enables not being stuck in dukkha. Okay? Mm -hmm. I remember a phase there I went through when I was sitting where I had uh, I can't say it was when I first started sitting it was like say six months into it and uh, sort of I was like fighting with the body, so I just want to correct and get a good sitting position. But I fell into this ditch where it wasn't just the body, it was the mind. The mind was getting agitated. It was uh, like rebelling. So I don't know, believe, I don't know. Um, it was like, you know, you talk about contraction there, it was like, um, I don't know. But, First, when I first started sitting, the body was rebelling, saying, oh, I don't like this, I'm getting stiff, and tired, pins and needles. And when I slightly got, or slightly get a handle on that, the mind was actually, it was like as if it had been caged, and, and yeah, sweat, sweat would be pumping out of me, and when I'd sit as well, just force myself to just sort of stay put. Um, I'm not saying I had any strategy of dealing with it, but just through repetition, just by doing the same thing, it, the mind and the body eventually trusted my intention. I wasn't trying to kill it or trying to force it through a box that it didn't mean, so just, just over time it settled by itself. It passed. So when, when you say all that, Mark, um What are, what are you saying about what you, how you engage the activity of zazen? Um, I mean, are you saying... My intention. Yeah. Are, are you saying you just try to be present? Um, are you saying... Um, I, I've learned a physical posture that has some sukha some physical comfort to it? Um, it's, it's more on the line of repetition. But um, repeating what? Repeating the process of sitting. And, um, and what, how would you describe the process of sitting? When I, when I sit, I, I try and sit as correctly as possible. And, um, and how, what is it, what is correct? What is it to sit correctly? Um, it would be to try and sit upright, but relaxed, without, uh -huh. without any sort of, yeah, force in the body. I mean, um, I, I found that I'm constantly correcting my, my spine, trying to get it to, but like, it's only over time, it's only over repetition, it slowly improves. It's like a, you know, I evolve into a position, I don't, I don't just push it into that position. Mm. Just through slight incremental changes of the limits, over time they improve. Um, 
just with intention and patience, you eventually climb the mountain. Okay, so hold that thought, and we'll, we'll see what other comments arise. Anyone else? Foolish enough to say what they do in Sasan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, uh, to sort of focus, what I'll do is mew. Like I'll go mew. Like I'll just really I'll sort of sometimes when I, when you're trying when I'm trying to sort of uh, get that focus and I can't, then I focus on I, I sort of focus on the breath. And if the breath isn't sufficient. Then I go into mew. I just keep on. Well, when you say you focus on the breath, how do you focus on the breath, and what is it for the breath to be sufficient or not sufficient? It can be sufficient for a while, but it doesn't sustain for me the ability to be present or focused and not to be caught up by you know, sort of random thoughts. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of sort of clearing the thoughts away and then focusing on the breath. And it's the breath, it, it may if it fails. What, what aspect of the breath do you focus on? I think the rhythm of breathing. So letting the body breathe, letting the breath be, find its natural rhythm. Yeah. And, and then just trying to attend to that? I think so, I think so, yeah. Okay. But then sometimes that doesn't work. And that's when you have to, then I sort of, I pull out mew. <laughs> mew. Yeah. Where did you get that syllable from? Uh, it's from a koan. So What's the koan? I can't remember the koan, but I know the response to <laughs> the koan was mew. <laughs> the, the koan was, um, the, monk, the monk asked Joshua. Does a dog have Buddha nature? That's right. Yeah. And Joshua um, uh, answer, answers with a term. Usually it's pronounced moo, by the way. Moo. Okay. M-U. Yeah. And um, the, often it's just translated as no. And then often it's just left as moo because it's quite a complex term. It's um, it's a little bit like uh, saying it, it could be more accurately translated as um, no thing. You know. You know. You could say well. Asking the question, does a dog have Buddha nature? There's something to have called Buddha nature. And Joshua is saying, there is no thing. You know, you're saying there's a thing called Buddha nature. I'm saying there is no such thing. You know? um, or the whole way that you're constructing a concept, I'm saying, let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the term move, usually on the exhale, um, is 
in, in one way it's just like a one-syllable mantra or an aid to bringing full presence to the exhale and then it has this nice coincidence that it's also Joshua's response to the con. And, and it's a typical, I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, it's a typical primary teaching in uh, the Rinzai tradition. Did you know that? Um, I get confused between the two. And uh, so it's, um, and I, I know that uh, I was in Rochester and, and uh, the Zen Center there, and that's, and I remember we did one piece where we were just sitting there and we were verbalizing you. Yes. And there's people shouting it and so on so forth. Yeah. yeah. So, so, that, so I remember that experience. I think I sort of bring that with me. Yeah. So try this. You breathe, I'll, I'll describe it first. You breathe in through the nose. And then you slowly extend the exhale and the syllable moo until the breath is done. Then you pause, and then you just let the inhale happen, like this. No. time we've got. Allowing the inhales an equally important part because there's releasing and allowing. And there's, they, they, they go together and they're both part of the disposition of meeting the moment. Don't get stuck, let it go. Don't resist, allow it to happen. And then the other interesting yogic thing is that syllable, mu. In, in, in yoga, there, there's four syllables, and they resonate in different parts of the body, and mu resonates in the tandan. And then in the Soto school, there's a different approach. Anyone else want to say how they sit? 
then of course it has a shadow to it which is then um, I'm determinedly making the right response happen. A little bit like saying, well there's a right way to be me and there's a wrong way to be me. Well, no matter what the heck you do, you're still you, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, so that's the, the careful thing to watch. Uh, and then the other thing I would say, the other th careful thing to watch is, well, I just sort of uh, sit here, you know, because the shadow there is that it gets too vague and, and there is like too much permission to give, given to rambling off on this thought and rambling off on that thought. Um, and it's, it's quite dreamlike. Hmm? Um, and, and so that, uh, not to get caught in, it's all an issue of determined production of the right way of being and then saying, well, that ha that's gaining mind. Just allow whatever happens to happen. Uh, well, what about when the mind is just manufacturing one idea and then another idea and another uh, Which might lead us to think, well, this is what I would suggest. You sit down and you just begin in a global way, noticing, you know. Like, um, what is the state of being? Uh, I spent the whole day, you know, meeting with people and talking and listening. And then I came in here for a few minutes before the talk, the zazen and talk, and my mind was kind of like reverberating in the consequence of all of that. And that's how it was. I'm like, what a surprise after spending a day talking and talking. Anyone else care to say what you do during session? I mostly work with my body. My body just has the screaming heebie-jeebies for the last 10 years, more or less. Mm. Mind does wander, but mostly I just sort of sit with aches, pains, and general discomfort, <laughs> if I'm honest. And I suppose what do I try to do with that? I try not to do anything with it. And I mm -hmm. sort of, I watch when I'm contracting even more around it. Mm -hmm. I try now increasingly just to sort of, I, I'm sitting with it for so long, I just work on the principle now, an hour sit, you know, I'll, I'll survive, I'll come through the other end. And I don't mean that in a casual or I'm just dismissing it. I just mean, I just sort of sit with it and try not to, 
overly engage with the story around it or anything. Mm. Um, and I think I recognise what you were saying there about somewhere between being very vague and kind of maybe times when you just lose a whole set and then time you're trying to, you know, I'm trying to say if I did, if I sat a different way, if I did this, maybe it'll all go away. But, you know, it doesn't. So I'm kind of at a point now where I'm just trying to turn up and just sit with it. Mm-hmm. And not not pretend it's not happening or ignore it or disengage, but not either not get too you know, try not to achieve anything around it, just say that's the way it is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kinda of been long term. It's kinda of, mm. so I think it's I think it's probably quite deep rooted, so kinda of, I can't even figure out what it's you know, I can't say it happens when I'm you know, oh, I'm really agitated, so then my body starts playing up. It's, mm-hmm. it's constant. So I sort of just go, no, okay. Hmm. You know this word sukha? Uh, sometimes uh, in Buddhism, there's two kinds of pleasant experience. And one is sukha, another one is piti. And the, the distinction is that sukha is physical pleasantness and piti is mental pleasantness. And uh, when something in the body starts to release, be more spacious, um, that's when the body starts to experience a more pleasant experience. It's like there's there's uh, an image in Zen, and uh, the image is that zazen is the acupuncture needle. You know, you know the principle of acupuncture. There, there's a knot or a tightness in the body and the acupuncture needle uh, kind of releases that knot and then the energy flows. And that's the principle of acupuncture. And then, interestingly and wonderfully, that helps to release the pain in the body, it helps to release, uh, that helps to release a healing quality. Um, What did you say? A human quality? Healing. Healing. A healing quality. Uh, And then there's almost a, a ferocious aspect of our practice in like and the reason I mentioned this impulse to grasp at what we want and push away what we don't want is that um, it creates the, the dukkha, the contraction. No? And then how is it to sit that it's a little bit like an acupuncture needle that releases the dukkha. Can you give me a 
longer needle and do it a bit more quickly, please? <laughs> well, you know, I encourage people to, uh, to do yoga. I mean, personally, every time I sit, I, I have a little stretching routine. Part of it is uh, practical. I, I know my body has two spots where it tends to knot. You know, uh, one's down on the left side of the sacroiliac, and the other one is uh, towards the base of the spine. And I, I try to stretch them out. before and after every sit. And uh, so, uh, so I, I advocate, learn about your body, learn about how to take care of it, learn about how to, in an just ordinary way, um, I mean, everybody's body has its own eccentricities, your own way of tightening, the own, your, it, your way, where, where do you put your tension? Oh, well, I put it in my lower back. Oh, I put it in my shoulders. Oh, I put it in my gut, the middle of my chest, you know. It's just the psychosomatic workings. And like many things, you know, you pull on that thread and then you see it's connected to other aspects of our being, you know. There's the kind of anatomy of our body. There's the psychosomatic responses to our emotions. There's um, how much we exercise or don't exercise in using our body. There's our diet. Uh, And they all influence it. And I would say, in some ways, it is what it is, you know. And then another way I would say, learning to be skillful with it is both practical and um, part of practice. Hmm? And will you get end up with the perfect body? Well, um, very unlikely. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like just sitting with it is a foolish notion. It's, it's, but it's, I would say, accompanied by doing your best to uh, not make it torturous. Practicing patience. Uh, willingness to suffer. Perseverance with that. And then discovering. I think this is part of what you were talking, Mark, is that when you, when you do that, you discover acceptance, and you discover that acceptance 
has its own kind of release you know and I, I think that that's the qualities of patience work as much towards the details of our life the details of our own psychological and emotional makeup and even the physicality of our own body Kadiguri Roshi said when you settle into simple presence the whole world is forgiven for being what it is and he meant not just in an abstract way but all the people that have annoyed you and done all this and the way you've annoyed yourself it's all kind of forgiven huh? probably not forever but in that moment of simple presence <laughs> I find it a useful notion you know that kind of softening I mean if you think about it in a way it's kind of ridiculous to resent life for being the way it is you know it's the product of so many causes and conditions and circumstances and interactions and some of them purposeful and intentional and a lot of them coincidental you know. I mean if you just consider the workings of your own mind in a 20-minute period uh, so much happens to resent yourself for having all those different arrays of thinking and feeling hmm. they're not simply the product of deliberate intention It'd be an amazing feat if they were Thoughts? Sorry, I don't know your name. Paul. Oh, of course. Paul. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. Let me. Yeah. Yes. You mentioned about One of the sports I do is um um endurance running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I enjoy of it is is I'm going to that point where it's like you're meditating when you're running for and you're overcoming a, 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 a pain mm-hmm. and you can get a lot of personal satisfaction yes when you see an obstacle, and your your the pain 
the pain is greater than the obstacle, but you overcome it. Yeah. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I say, um, it is here in you, to me. I was up at the, the trip last Saturday, found it very, very um, rewarding. Uh, and you know, this is why I'm here tonight. It, it, as for it, 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 Keep the mind under control, but you know, reason and try and focus on the breath. You know, I, I, I do um, yoga, and when the mind braces, I can focus that and draw the energy from the I mean, core. Mm-hmm. That brings it all the way through me. to do a lot of running too. Uh-huh. So I, I, I had a similar kind of experience. There's kind of a, a meditative quality of just the simple repetition yeah. of activity and uh, the, the kind of the constancy of the engagement. You know? mm-hmm. uh, it's not like your mind is c- completely engaged, but it's not like you're utterly spaced out either. It's, no. And uh, and then in some ways it is a good preparation for sitting. And then in other ways, uh, using the body in that way uses the musculature of the body in a particular way and that can have a tendency to tighten. And so it is very you know, very helpful to know how to stretch out your hamstrings and how to stretch out your Achilles and and how to, uh, you know, especially when you're doing long runs uh, and and the body starts to tire, there's ways we kind of stiffen the body to kind of endure. I find that when I start to tire, I have to take the mind away from it because the more you get focused on it, the more tired you are. Yeah. So you take the mind away from, you know, okay, I 
know the body needs um, a, a, fluid, a, a fluid. Yes. But if you can keep it away from it and control it, mm-hmm. fluid, yeah. Yeah. you know, if, if we have it. Um, you see, and here's, I would modify that in this way. Uh-huh. That when there's unpleasant experience, pain, we can tend to contract around it, but with enough attentiveness, uh, like I remember once hearing uh, an Olympic champion, and actually he was a sprinter, and uh, they said, how do you do it? I mean, I think he broke the world record, and they said, how do you run faster than anybody else, you know? And he said, it's all about relaxation. He says, you make your effort, but you don't tighten, you know, and and in some ways it's a good admonition for Zazen. You make your effort, but you don't tighten, you know, and and whether it's move or whether it's attention to the body or the breath, you know, that directed attention makes a connection and then if it if it sort of tightens into an issue of control the energy flow is inhibited and if it softens uh, or inclines towards that and then the challenge in zazen is uh, how close can you stay to the intentionality of practice? And then, how do you relate to when the intention is disrupted by something or other? And then, just as you were saying, Paul, it's like, uh, don't make that the enemy. Don't, don't just drift away with it, but don't make it the enemy either. Kind of fold it back in with your intention. Paul, uh, come back last year, as I run, it was the 80 dark in the nights, and I was running with a person, and he took me on to a new trail, and the worst thing I'd done, I looked at it a hill, and in my head, straight away, I can't run that. And that took me a long time. Anyway, and each time we have came round to it, he was away in front. Because I built a barrier. Yeah. I was so tight, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. I can't run this here. Yeah. And I made a point in, in running that same part on in my own. Took me away and I kept running and I, that helped, I ended up, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mastered it. Yeah. There. Yeah. 
So when we sit, if we can stay close to tracking our effort, it's like we can find a way to bring in some relaxation every breath. You can find a way to bring in some relaxation or release every exhale, every allowing of the inhale. And you know, in a way, what all that points to is that if you just turn Zazen into this mechanical event, you know, uh, you miss some of the subtle requirement to keep tracking the experience and keep relating to it skillfully. And responding to that request keeps the mind uh, alert, you know. And um, so it's a kind of a, a subtle balance, a delicate balance between intentionality and a persistent attention and releasing, you know the impulse to get carried away one way or another is until the mind settles quite a bit is is quite persistent you know it keeps coming up whether it's a thought or whether it's how you're tightening around your effort or sneaking in some aspect of control just coming back to an effort that's in the midst of letting it be what it is. Yeah. And that's the quality of the Soto school. Like adding that in. You know? um, and then you could say in the Rinzai school, you just make your effort and it tightens and it tightens and you keep going until you kind of like break through. And, you know, there, there's benefits and deficits to that style too. Uh, You've done both. I've done both. I think we all experiment. I think we all. Uh, do something and usually we do something, we engage in a way that's sort of reflective of our personality or how we do our life, you know. Uh, some people have dug at persistence and, and, you know, and it serves them well in some way and it sabotages them in another. <laughs> Some other people are reluctant to, you know, jump in. Um, 
usually in the course of practice you do zazen the way you do your life whatever style that is and then as you keep at it you say oh wait a minute <laughs> hopefully at some point you say wait a minute wrong is there something other than dogged persistence I can bring to this? Or something other than uh, just not quite committing? I mean, that, that's the wonder of it. If you just keep at it, you just keep seeing more and more of your own stuff. and then um, learning the lessons that are being offered. Mm. And that, and that, uh, that notion, you know, like, no matter how, how many books you read or how many clever ideas you've heard and took to heart, something, um, it's very personal that only you can discover through making your own effort. You know? This evening I was just trying to describe a certain kind of principle. You know? You make your effort and you track it. You know? I like to think of it as there's directed effort and there's receptive attention. Here's what directed effort's about, and you stay open to what happens, and you learn from it. And sometimes it's amazing how, le how long it takes to learn something, you know? I mean, that's been my experience. I think sometimes, I think, wow, you know? Take me quite a while to learn that lesson. <laughs> and often, in a, in, in a conceptual way, it, it's not a very uh, complicated uh, lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Spielberg, uh, the movie director. I heard him being interviewed and he said he told his two sons uh, this teaching. He said, uh, the teachings of life often are spoken with a soft voice. You have to listen carefully. I thought, what a beautiful teaching, huh? The teachings of life are often spoken with a soft voice. Listen carefully. Okay, thank you.